Hello and welcome to an episode of Highly Strange with Lewis and Sarah. Hello. A very hungover Sarah. I am dying. <laughs> <laughs> now we record these in two batches, so if Sarah's going to be hungover for two weeks in a row. <laughs> yeah, I apologise. <laughs> out of my control. <laughs> you ready? Have you heard of The Missing 411? I have, actually. You this have. is probably the episode... Like one of your episodes that I actually properly know what's the only going on. One you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> All the other ones I've been like, um. so there's one I know, and I have seen the program. Oh, I haven't the, read the books because there's books as well. There's isn't like there? ten books. Yeah. yeah, and they're really hard to find actually. Yeah, I haven't read the books, but I did watch the Amazon series. I thought about treating myself to one of the books, but they're really hard to find in this country, and they're probably really expensive. So yeah. I didn't bother. So. Should well, we yeah, I actually know. Yeah, I'm ready for this. Ooh, exciting. The United States of America has 63 congressionally designated national parks. Operated by the National Park Service, these areas are reserved for their distinctive natural beauty, diverse ecosystem and recreational facilities. In 2018, over 84 million people visited national parks across, across the country, looking for a peaceful getaway camping with family or to challenge themselves on long hikes in the wilderness. Nice. Long hikes sounds absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it's not my jam, but <laughs> fair no, enough. No, I mean, as I approach 30, I just prefer wearing my pyjamas and watching Netflix. Yeah, I'm, I'm all up for that life. Hiking. <laughs> the largest national park is in Alaska and covers over 8 million acres, making it larger than nine of the smallest states in America. The smallest park is in Missouri and is only 193 acres. Across the entire United States, approximately 52 million acres is designated as being a national park. It is unsurprising, then, that within this huge portion of the country that people unfortunately go missing. In America, any one given time, there are estimated to be around 90,000 people declared missing. Jesus, I didn't know it was that's that many. Quite yeah, a few that's people. insane. But one man would go on to discover that perhaps some mysteries aren't all made equally. Dun, 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 I can't remember dun. his name. Former police officer of 20 years, David Polides, That's it. was not long into his retirement when he began following an interest in Bigfoot. <laughs> in his pursuit of the legendary cryptids, he self-published two books and created the research group NABS, or North American Bigfoot Search. You love her, like, NIDS, NABS. NIDS, NABS. <laughs> <laughs> MUFON. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love them, they're just... Um... It's all you. <laughs> <laughs> a paper published by NABS would go on to assert that Bigfoot is, in fact, real and documented the analysis of 111 samples of hypothetical Bigfoot DNA. Unfortunately for fans of Bigfoot, or Big Feet, <laughs> this paper would later be scrutinised by actual scientists, including Sharon Hill for the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry. Oh. I think... That might be my arch nemesis. What, well, Sharon? Yeah, Sharon is my arch nemesis. <laughs> you heard it here. We've never spoken... Beef with Sharon. <laughs> We've never spoken about Bigfoot. No, we haven't, actually. If we do a Bigfoot episode, maybe I'll get Sharon on. Yeah, ring her up. <laughs> right, Sharon. We'll All right, Shazza. We'll have a fight on the microphone. <laughs> Sharon's report concluded that Nab's paper was of poor quality and stated that the few experienced geneticists who viewed the paper reported a dismal opinion of it, noting it made little sense. However, 
it was during his Bigfoot search that Politers stumbled across something, at least to me, much more interesting. I'm not really big on Bigfoot, to be honest. You know, I I like they're fun. That's the thing. I think Bigfoot's quite fun. It's quite a fun. St- Maybe we do a fun story about Bigfoot. I do like them. I don't. I, I guess I kind of believe that there is a Bigfoot creature. I just don't believe it's Bigfoot. If you know what I mean. You think big feet? Plural. <laughs> no, as in, it just is an animal that we haven't like formally named yeah, and discovered. Okay. And it's all fun and games until they start kidnapping people. We'll get to that. <laughs> You're about to ruin Bigfoot for me forever. <laughs> well, whilst oh, doing he's re- a child snatcher, <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot the child snatcher, Bigfoot against Chris Hansen. What? <laughs> 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 whilst doing research in a national park, Politis came into contact with an off-duty park ranger who struck up a conversation with a former police officer about missing people's cases, expressing particular concern regarding the mysterious nature of many of the disappearances. Learning of Polidas' police backgrounds, the park ranger asked Polidas if he could do further investigations, and that he did. Struggling with where to begin, due to the sheer amount of missing people's cases and the huge amount of ground to cover, Polidas set a series of boundaries to narrow down missing people's cases that fall outside of the usual cases. Pilates will begin to investigate cases that fall outside of these broad categories. The disappearance must have taken place within a national park, rural area or large reserve of public land. There must be exceptionally odd circumstances around the disappearance. Mental illness or voluntary disappearance does not appear to be the cause. And the but, mis- but did they find any staircases? That's what I want to know. I've not seen any cases <laughs> with staircases. Oh. <laughs> any staircases. That's a shame. The missing person must be relatively healthy with no known health issue or disability that would render them vulnerable in the wilderness. Although that does get, like, loosened as we go on. I guess as well, like, you can have an illness and it just be undiagnosed. If... Yeah. The, well, the idea was that he didn't want to just investigate people that had just gone out hiking and had a heart attack yeah. or something. What Pilides would go on to uncover would become known as the missing 411, a term that refers to computer terminology to missing date or a corrupted hyperlink. Oh, do you know, I've only just made that connection. I know, yeah. it is like wild. Yeah, like, that is what comes up when you when the website isn't there anymore, isn't it? I've only just made that. It's so obscure. Wow. The vast majority of cases Pilides would <laughs> investigate. <laughs> Look, you're stunned. It's the first thing you've ever Mind learned and blown. we've done like 22 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I learn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the vast majority of cases Pilides would investigate over the course of ten books and several documentary films would take place in or on clearly marked and popular hiking routes or public camping sites. Victims are often prolific hikers and outdoorsmen and hunters who know the area well. Unfortunately, there are more than a few stories of children that go missing without explanation, often within arm's reach of their parent or guardian. I've collected some of the more well-known and unexplainable cases that he investigated. Okay, you ready I'm ready. To, ready I to think go on this missing journey? children. Yeah, let's do this. No. <laughs> you ready for missing children? Always. <laughs> <laughs> In 1981, an 84-year-old man named Maurice Demetz went topaz hunting with his friend David McSweeney in Pike National Forest in Colorado. Demetz had a PhD in theology and in the 70s had said in several publications 
he believed that the Antichrist was coming. He wrote that the devil would appear as a political, religious, commercial autocrat of the world. And he thought Topaz would stop that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, whatever you want to do in your free time when you're 84, if you want to go Topaz hunting, I'm not going to um, stop you. Once they were in the park, they drove 60 miles down a dirt road until they reached a spot known locally as Topaz Point. Which is where you want to go looking for yeah, Topaz. Yeah, He's on the summit there. <laughs> American Indians claimed that the land was haunted by evil spirits. Early settlers would call this place the Devil's Head. So that's the difference between... Have early... Ghost Adventures been there? What, the Devil's Head? Have they done... It sounds like somewhere they would go, but I don't I've think I've definitely watched have. an episode where that's, they were trying to like invoke some old like Native American spirits. That doesn't sound like them at all. But <laughs> <Quite> inappropriate. <laughs> I, I think it's quite interesting, the difference between American Indians calling it Devil's Head and like Americans then calling it Topaz Point. It really sums <laughs> up the difference between the settlers and the colonisers. White people. <laughs> <laughs> Maurice could barely walk due to his bad knees. He needed David to help him down a small hill to get to a suitable digging location in the forest. When it was time to leave, David walked to Maurice's digging spot to say that they should go in about 10 minutes. He went back to his own digging site 150 yards away to clean up his tools, but when David returned to Maurice's spot, the elderly man was gone. With his bad knees, it would have been impossible for Maurice to climb up the hill on his own. And he couldn't have gotten far into the forest. So this doesn't really fit the, like, no medical issues? No, it doesn't really. (laughs) But, like, he does... It spans, like, loose nose and putting these new other conditions. This is where he started with, and Mm -hmm. then it sort of expanded out. So he couldn't have gotten far into the forest, yet he was gone. He honked his car's horn and called for him and searched the surrounding area but to no avail. McSweeney flagged down a nearby car and asked them to find the police while he continued the search. The local authorities searched for five days and yet they never found any evidence. The police closed the case, claiming there was nothing else that could be done to find the missing man. When investigating the man's disappearance 30 years later, Polides discovered that there had been a cluster of similar disappearances around Devil's Head. When the case was featured in his feature documentary, the police reopened the case but have still come no closer to answering what happened to Maurice de Metz. So one of the things, like one of the elements that he would later go on would be that these disappearances would happen in clusters. So in this one particular area around Pike National Park, for example, there would be a cluster of disappearances that are very similar to this. That's how they would go on. And where... Um, like the circumstances of each cluster, like the well, same every time. Similar, yeah. yeah, just just disappear without a trace. So the next case showcases some more of the classic elements. Um, I'll explain them as we go. In two thousand and fourteen, a doctor called James McGrogan was on a split snowboarding exhibition with his friends in the rugged wilderness north of Vail, Colorado. So split snowboarding is like cross country running, but with snowboards. It sounds utterly miserable. Look at the look on your face. I just, yeah. I, mean, ho- I used to hate cross country when I was little. I don't think we ever had to do it. Did you not? No, I don't remember doing it. I'd be at the back of the pack, like, walking miserably. And you'd have all the athletic kids, like, sprinting at the start, and I'd be like, oh, fuck this. Oh, no, we didn't do it. I remember 
I loved PE at primary school because we just went into the hall and you'd have like a little space on your own and then they played like a tape and the tape would be like, now jump. And everyone would then like jump and then it'd be like, now sit down. And that's like what we did for PE. <laughs> well, but, never did it in primary school. It's like a secondary school thing. They do it like once or twice a year. And it'd be no. the day where I'd try to get out of PE. Do you remember the bleep test? Beep Ooh. test? I was, I was not an athletic child. God. <laughs> and that trend... Well, and you are an that adult. That trend followed me <laughs> into adulthood. <laughs> it was the early morning of Friday the 14th of March when McGrogan and his friends, also doctors, began their journey. Their target was a location named Camp Hale, a collection of huts tucked away deep in the mountains to serve as temporary shelters for hikers and campers in the deep wilderness. Originally built in the 1940s as the home of the 10th Mountain Division and a mountain warfare training area, in later years the huts themselves have become a popular target for hikers and backpackers in the summer and backcountry skiers in the winter. The group set off on their hike up towards a hut called the Eisman Hut, which sits perched upon a steep ridge and is a prized location due to the breathtaking view of the Rocky Mountains. Although only four miles from the group's starting point, and right near US Interstate 70, the hike itself was up a meandering nine-mile trail through steep and treacherous wooded terrain, and the hut is not considered easy to reach. One of the reasons it is a popular target for hikers. Nine-mile trail up a mountain. I, I wouldn't want to walk nine miles flat. No, I, I think I, I struck with that one mile. I'm not thinking yeah. about getting a taxi. <laughs> Although it was to be a challenging hike, McGrogan and company were experienced with the outdoors and well prepared. So, like, one of the elements of these cases is that the victims are often incredibly experienced outdoorsmen. From hunters to hikers, the phenomenon does not seem to discriminate its victims, which makes it weirder. So, yeah, they are people prepared and... Yeah, because if yeah. it was me or you that went out into this wilderness, yeah. you'd expect us to disappear and die, like, to be honest. Yeah. Like, my friends would be like, what is he doing out there? He's gone. I think people would be like, well, she was clearly kidnapped if she was walking in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> McGrogan himself carried with him a mobile phone, basic medical supplies, a sleeping bag, avalanche beacon, GPS, warm clothing and plenty of food and water. Food and, food. <laughs> and plenty of food and water. And as the weather was clear at the time, they seemed prepared for anything. The group set off on their adventure and initially had no problems, with everything going smoothly and according to plan. At approximately 10am, the group was around five miles from their destination and stopped to take a rest. Shortly after, McGrogan decided that he was going to check out the route up ahead and that he would meet up with his friends further down the trail. Not long after McGrogan was out of sight, the rest of the group continued on, but they didn't see him anywhere, and upon reaching the hut, there was still no sign of him. The group called his name, but there was no response. After a search of the area, they could see no sign of McGrogan, who had been wearing a bright jacket. After spending the rest of the day searching for McGrogan and finding no trace of him, they contacted the Eagle Valley Sheriff's Department and reported him missing. After how long, sorry? After, it was just the rest of the day. Right, okay. Like, I don't know how long you would wait, really. It's like... I suppose you'd wait quite long if they were out hiking, because yeah, you'd be like, well, maybe they'll... Oh, maybe they'll come back in a couple of hours or whatever, yeah. and then... 
A search was subsequently mounted and the area exhaustively combed for five days by parties on foot, snowmobile and in helicopters. But no sign was found of McGrogan. Soon the authorities were forced to call the search off when winds in the valley became too dangerous. In the meantime, McGrogan's companions were baffled as to how he could have vanished so completely and so quickly, as he had only been out of sight for a few minutes at most and there had been no cries for help. Further, one of the members of the group would tell authorities that the group had actually been pretty close to him the whole time and that he wasn't sure how McGrogan could have got separated from them and the trail, which was well delineated. So even though he'd gone on ahead, the trail was like pretty straight mm. and there wasn't a whole lot of area where he could have feasibly gone astray without his party like noticing him gone. Yeah, no, they should have been able to see him if he was up ahead. Wouldn't and they? he had a bright jacket. Yeah. Two weeks had now passed since the search and rescue mission was called off and it seemed like once again another person had seemingly vanished off the face of the earth. However, two backcountry skiers would happen to stumble across McGrogan's remains, lying face down on some ice, four and a half miles away from where he had initially gone missing. What's even stranger is that the area his body was discovered in had already been thoroughly searched during the early days of the investigation. Right. <laughs> so this is something that does come up time and time again, where, and that Pallides includes this as part of the phenomenon of the missing 411 classification. It's like the missing person's body more often than not appears in an area that's been previously searched. Yeah. Or that's like really close to like a well-travelled path. Which is strange. It's like the body goes missing and then it's like dumped. Yeah, placed like back there. Place. Yeah, yeah. The subsequent autopsy would conclude that James McGrogan had passed away due to the trauma caused by a fall from a great height. So, it's weird, but this is possible, isn't it? This could be just a natural, he could have just fell. The area was quite rugged and rocky and was covered in ice and snow. So he could have just got lost, travelled four and a half miles and slipped down the side of a cliff. Yeah, I mean, it seems it still seems very unlikely, doesn't it? But because of them being like prepared hikers, yeah, and quite professional in what they're doing, it just seems. Well, there's a few more strange details that might make it even weirder. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready for this. Firstly, McGrogan's body was missing shoes. Okay. In fact, investigators searched intensely around where his body was discovered, and still never discovered them. So where were his shoes and why would he remove them? I'm sure you and might. It's like icy, like, yeah. Yeah, you, you wouldn't want to, want to. Have you heard of paradoxical undressing? No, maybe. It's like when, like, if you know, like, Dyatlov Pass, where some of them were found without clothes on. Uh, sometimes people that are suffering from hypothermia Fermia, yeah, okay. take off all their clothes. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're on about. It's like a delirious thing, isn't it? Yeah, or s they don't entirely know why. Sometimes your blood rushes to your skin from your organs to try and keep you warm. Yeah, so yeah. you get really hot out of nowhere and you take your clothes off, but obviously you're still freezing to death. But, but he had the rest of his clothes on. Yeah, he had the rest of his clothes on. I mean, McGrogan was pretty well stocked. He had food and water and he had like warm mm. clothes and he weren't out there for long enough to suffer from from hypothermia, unless he was out there for the full two weeks before he was found dead. But then the searches would have found him. Yeah, and you'd imagine, you know, his whole body, they'd have said that, like, his remains looked frozen, something. Yeah. Hmm. 
Missing shoes is another element in the classification of missing 411 cases. Many bodies are found missing, found missing their shoes or socks, or in some cases their entire outfit has been missing, or even weirder, worn but backwards or wrongly dressed in another way. So there have been cases of people found, but their like, trousers have been put on backwards, or their coats have been put on backwards. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know what to say. That <laughs> fucked up. It is, isn't it? So I what was... time did Bundy go missing in the mountains? <laughs> yeah, he used to go up to the mountains and do yeah. holy things. Is this um, a crossover? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I was doing research for this episode, I went to the most logical website I could think of. Wikipedia. I do, I do use Wikipedia <laughs> sometimes. But no, I went to Reddit. Of course, yeah. And there were some unsurprisingly wild theories <laughs> about missing shoes. I don't know. My sort of immediate actual theory is maybe there genuinely is a serial killer and shoes are his trophy. Yeah, that's it's possible with the clusters. It could be serial killers. Yes. Because as well, like if you just in like a serial killer that's just a thrill killer and, you know, just literally enjoys the murdering part, then going out into the an, an area like, like the that. Place to go. Yeah. And then I just wonder if yeah, like a lot of them keep like a little trophy, don't they? So the shoes. they take the There's shoes. A, a shoe band yeah. out there. And then it would explain how the body got put back there, because maybe they... Possibly. Just jump them back. I don't know, it seems like a stretch. I don't know how... They would be caught by the search party, though, while it was happening. I don't know. I don't know. Depends how quickly they get them out, I suppose. Because he was already missing a couple of hours, weren't he, before the search yeah, started. Yeah, that's true. That's where my mind goes. Do you want to hear this Reddit theory? Of course I do. (laughs) I don't want to bury the lead with some theories, but here's this one. Okay. So here's a direct quote. I quoted the entire post this guy made. Elemental witches. You're not far off. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain the concept of earthing or walking barefoot on the earth to literally ground oneself. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the human body builds a positive charge throughout its normal everyday biological processes. The earth has a negative charge, and so when walking barefoot, a natural ground occurs as the positive charge from the body is neutralised. Please excuse my simplistic explanation. The principles of electricity are not my forte. The critical point is that a person needs to be barefoot on the earth in order for the grounding to take place. Shoes will totally interfere with this process. So relating this to missing 411... If the disappearances are based around some interdimensional entity opening or taking advantage of natural portals, perhaps the victims must be barefoot in order to ground them during what is quite possibly an electrically driven process. I'm not saying that the entities are sitting in the woods with generators opening portals using massive amounts of electricity. Brackets. The government (laughs) might do that, but I digress. (laughs) But possibly these portals are electrical in nature, and so the grounding element of barefootedness is key in allowing the energetic transfer to take place. So that's all, that's pretty much cleared it up, the missing shoe thing for me. Yep. This absolute raving of a lunatic. I mean, to be honest. You know, initially, I was like listening, thinking, no, that makes perfect sense. Like, ground yourself, take your shoes off. And oh, then when it that. went on to like. There, because there's a negative charge in the end. Then I thought, no, you lost me now. It, I liked the government might do that. <laughs> I mean, you never know. 
So okay. I actually wrote underneath, I know what you're like, Sarah, so your mind would almost definitely go towards serial killer <laughs> rather than interdimensional entity. I but mean, that's what makes us different. Yeah. Yeah. Occam's razor. Sometimes it's the simplest explanation. And it's always a serial killer. Yeah. I think the inter- interdimensional entity is the simplest. <laughs> it's sure. electrically charged by bare feet on the ground. I, st- I don't really get where they're going with that, as in... Look, it's just a post from Reddit. <laughs> okay, yeah, stop, don't just overthink it, Sarah. Something I found at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> okay, well... Cool. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. As well as being fully dressed for a snowy hike in the wilderness, McGrogan also had a fully operational mobile phone and GPS system, which was found on the body and was still in working order. This begs the obvious question. If he was lost, or in some other distress or injured, why did he not ring his friends or the emergency services for help? Also, how did he manage to evade what were reportedly numerous searches of the very area where the body was found? It could be that the sheer ruggedness allowed him to remain hidden after a fall, but that he was there to begin with. Let's not forget, four and a half miles away is unexplainable. As of today... There have been no further developments in the case, and James McGrogan died of natural causes due to a fall. I chose this as one of the cases to look at, as it does contain a few of the key categories that makes up a missing 411 case. So, could, sorry, if he had that GPS thing, yeah. could the other people not have tracked him? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I suppose okay. it's one of those things you have to activate yourself yeah. to be able to find. So if he went missing, he'd put this GPS thing on and his friends would be able to see it. I don't imagine it was running the whole time. Okay. So, yeah, missing shoes, the body being discovered in a previously searched location, the victim being a fit and healthy outdoorsman. So what are your theories? Do you think it's a serial killer? Well, I just... I don't know what it is. Sometimes I think the killer is sort of maybe the logical thing. Sometimes... I guess it could just be the elements and it's just unfortunate that they didn't find him the first time they looked. I don't know. I really don't. What do you think? Interdimensional portals. <laughs> no, the, the We're bear, all just a big battery. <laughs> the, the fact he was four and a half miles away, which is a distance. Yeah, yeah. And he had his bare feet, he had his shoes missing, which was never found. There was no evidence that he was murdered because he, he allegedly died from a, a fall from a great height. Mm. The interesting thing about Politis is that he doesn't come to any conclusions about how these what killed these people, just that they went missing. In the yeah, it's just making people aware of the story, aren't yeah, isn't he, really? Yeah, ev- everyone else comes to the conclusions afterwards. I do have a few conclusions. I imagine, because there's so many cases, there's, it's not all one phenomena. There's like multiple things happening. Maybe... I don't yeah. want to say my conclusion already. I don't want to say Sometimes I think like animals, but then they'd eat him. Yeah, there was you no know, sign yeah. of animal predation. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. No. I, was, I don't I think I do mostly sit with the serial killer thing. I was really expecting you to have an answer so I'd have a word with Plyder saying that highly strange is solved. <laughs> Twelve hundreds <laughs> cases of missing people. 
Yeah, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everything can it. We still got a little bit to go. I'm too hungover. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting shit from me. Sometimes being hungover is the only way to sort things out, though. Is it? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You've ever sorted out anything hungover? <laughs> Unfortunately, the people that Pilides have investigated aren't always adults. Children brought to national parks to bond with their parents on a fun family holiday or hunting trip are just as likely to inexplicably disappear. On Father's Day weekend in 1969, six-year-old Dennis Martin was with his brother, father and grandfather visiting the Smoky Mountains National Park. Following a night camped out under the stars, the next day a man approached Mr Martin, asking if his sons wanted to play with his children, as they were about the same age. Dennis's father agreed. Sorry, what are you laughing at? Um, Danny looked at me and was like, no, no. Don't, don't go and play with old men. Well, no, he's, he's like saying his child, but still. <laughs> Just don't talk to strangers, you know? This was a different time. This was 1969. It was the 60s. Everyone okay. had their doors unlocked and all that. Well, this is why they're all going fucking missing. Yeah, true. That's why there's so many serial killers back then. <laughs> Dennis's father agreed and the children went on to play a game of hide and seek with his father looking on at a safe distance. Dennis hid behind a tree. When the other children jumped out to reveal themselves, Dennis did not. Uh-oh. His father, panicked, ran over to the tree where he had last seen his son, but he was gone. They were camped out next to the Appalachian Trail. I don't know if I pronounced that right, I'm sorry. Appalachian? Appalachian? I mean, I don't know the correct one, so... Oh, I don't know either. Which his father proceeded to run down for two miles, screaming for his son. Park rangers were subsequently called and thus began the most extensive search effort in the park's history, covering approximately 56 square miles and involving around 1,400 searchers. And, like, search dogs and all, all that sort of gear. It's quite a lot of people. Do they find Dennis? We'll get to that. The FBI, Green Berets, park rangers and local citizens searched for six weeks but came up almost empty-handed. Almost, okay. Almost. Heavy rain and heavy mist hampered the search effort in the early days, and with such a large search team, it was probably fairly chaotic, with the possibility that such numbers of people were obscuring clues as to the boys' whereabouts. Child-sized footprints were found in the area where Dennis went missing, but were immediately dismissed by park officials to have been left by a Boy Scout involved in the search efforts. The footprints led to a stream and subsequently disappeared. The tracks indicated that one foot was barefooted, whilst the other was in an Oxford, the kind of shoe that Dennis was reported to be wearing when he disappeared. So I did mention that they came up almost, almost empty-handed. They did find some evidence. They found a single sock and a single shoe. His body was never found. They found that near a stream? I don't... I, or the footprints I, led to the stream? The footprints led to the stream and then they were gone. I looked everywhere. I couldn't see any information as to where they found the sock and the shoe. Right, OK. But once again, missing shoes. Yeah. Just one. That's weird. So that's the end of He's the... only half-charged then. Yeah. He's only half-grounded, that yeah. one. It's <laughs> a child, Sarah. <laughs> but that's what it says on Reddit. It does. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only needed to charge a small parcel. Yeah, and maybe when he's little, he only needed half the charge. <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> so that's the end of the official story. 
So when I was researching this case, I came across some classic Coast to Coast AM. Have you listened to Coast to Coast AM? I haven't. I know what you're talking about, though. So. I used to be well into it when I was like, I say when I was younger, like five years ago. So I'd be at work and I'd listen to like Coast to Coast AM. It'd just be lunatics phoning into like Art Bell. We'd be like having a fag and drinking some whiskey, <laughs> listening to these people rave at him over the phone about their paranormal experiences. But he, he did an interview with David Polides, um about the missing 411 and Polides added this part of the story, which is excluded from the official Park Ranger report. So okay. we'll take this with whatever grain of salt you want or if it is true, I don't know. On the same afternoon that Dennis went missing, the Key family were also visiting the camp nearby. When they asked a nearby ranger where they could see a wild bear, they were pointed further up a trail to a location known as Rowan's Creek. As they arrived, they hear a scream, a deafening scream. As they look up the valley, a, the young key boy sees what he thought was a bear. As the father looked, however, he realised it wasn't a bear, but a wild-looking hairy man. Bigfoot! Hiding behind some trees before running away, carrying something on his shoulder. Whilst we may never know what this wild man was carrying timeline between this sighting and the disappearance of Dennis Martin aligned perfectly. Could this mystery wild man have been carrying Dennis Martin away with it? Oh, maybe there's like a little Jungle Book situation and they're just like raising... What's the kid in Jungle Book? Mowgli. Mowgli. Maybe there's just like a little kid out there like with a big foot, like Mowgli like living his best Mowgli life. I mean, that's a really positive way of looking at it. <laughs> Whereas this story is concluding that this Bigfoot character would have essentially torn this child asunder. So, oh, I mean, we can go with Mowgli, Mowgli if you want. We can go with, <laughs> go with the Jungle Book if you want, but... Oh, maybe, maybe there is. <laughs> maybe they lived a happy life, this small child and this... We don't know Man that beast. Bigfoot is, you know, mean. <laughs> he might no, be really he nice. He <laughs> could be friendly. We don't even know if that part of the story happened, but Polidus claimed that he got evidence that this did happen. Okay. Interesting. On August the 15th, 1958, 10-year-old Bobby Bysup was attending a Catholic camp for boys alongside <laughs> 100 other children named Camp St. Malo that sits on the border of the Rocky Mountain National Park. I've actually put in red here, Sarah, please refrain from making a Catholic joke. <laughs> You're all, you laughed immediately I said the word Catholic camp for boys. No, I'm not going to make a joke because obviously something awful is going to happen to this little boy, so I'm not I'm going to refrain. Probably a good idea. We'll wait till I mean, something awful story. was going to happen to him either way if he was on a Catholic church camp but please you know. refrain but <laughs> Bobby Bysup was fishing down in the creek when a camp counsellor found him and told him it was time for dinner Bobby was profoundly deaf and required the use of hearing aids don't you feel even worse now no you can't hear me joke it's fine <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh if I'd said that you would have given me some dirty look it's the hangover, okay? <laughs> makes you a savage. <laughs> the, two, the two headed back towards the camp, the counsellor noting that Bobby was following him back to the camp. When the counsellor got back, he turned round and noticed that Bobby was gone. The camp leaders immediately requested assistance from the park rangers at 6.30pm that night. 
and the following search would go on for four days. Over the four days, 300 searches covered 16 square miles, including the nearby Mount Mika. After the search concluded, there was absolutely no trace of the missing child. And that remained the case until a year later, when three camp counsellors were on Mount Mika, an area that had been searched fully multiple times in the prior investigation, found his remains. Amongst his remains were his hearing aids, a few pieces of torn clothing and several bones, but nothing else. The remains were found over three miles away from where he was last seen, and 2,500 feet above on the mountainside. How did Bobby Bysop climb three miles up a hill to a total of 2,500 feet in elevation, and how did he do it without being found and rescued? How old was he? Ten years old. Yeah. That's quite a distance to walk. Yeah. As a ten-year-old. Uphill, yeah. Because they called the searchers immediately he went missing. They didn't wait and see if he'd come back. Mm. So they were searching for him straight away. So they would have presumably found him in that time. There was a bit of a bit of a twist in the story coming up. Okay. <laughs> Over sixty years later, just last 60 year, years, okay. just last year, a skull of a child was handed in to federal investigators by a man named Doctor Tom McCloskey. McCloskey claims that the skull had originally been in the possession of his father, Doctor Joseph McCloskey a prominent member of the Catholic Church and a close friend of the priest who was running Camp St. Malo when the boy vanished. <laughs> oh. So I heard this story quite a few years ago when I found out about Missing 411. And it does fit into the classification, but the news that came out last year does make me believe that once again the Catholic Church are up to shenanigans. Well... It's just it's not uncommon to find children's remains near Catholic places, is it really? Well, no. not places, but you know what I mean. So that this friend of the priest was holding on to a, a skull of a child for however many years, and it's been passed down. That's so weird. Yeah, it's not great. So not he didn't like way. claim he was just out and found it. No, there's, he was like he, he just. I was gifted this by my pal. <laughs> yeah, and then passed it on to his son. So weird. Yeah. But like, his son did do the right thing and handed it in. So it yeah, yeah. Identified. But just bizarre that people keep... Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Don't like that. That's why I told you to stop making jokes at the start. Well, it might not have been his skull. <laughs> it could have been anyone's. <laughs> it was. It could have been any 10-year-old child <laughs> up on that mountain. Well, if they're still... Why? What I don't get is why are they still do, like having that camp? Because it said ten years later it was camp counselors. Why aren't they taking the kids back in there? Yeah, still going. They love it. Weird. Just a hundred young Catholic boys in a camp up the side of a mountain. Oh. Just a few priests. <laughs> totally detached from society yeah. and any sort of authority. Oh God! It sounds like a brilliant time. There are, <laughs> there are over 1,200 missing persons cases that fall into Polida's missing 411 bracket. The vast majority of them, the missing person is either found dead or the remains are never discovered. However, there are a few cases where the victim is thankfully found alive and relatively unharmed. In February 2018, a Canadian man named David Philippidis 
was on a ski trip with his friends in New York. They called him David. His name was fucking Danny. <laughs> <laughs> in February 2018, <laughs> a Canadian man named Danny Philippidis was on a ski trip with his friends in New York. It was around 2pm and they had been skiing for hours. They were getting ready to go into their lodge. But Danny said that he wanted to go on one more run down the mountain before their lunch break. By 4pm, Danny was failing to return any calls or texts, and his friends were growing more and more concerned. They began searching for him, and after being unable to find him, they told the employees at the lodge that he was missing. A team of 130 people scoured the mountain without finding him. Six days later, Danny's wife received a phone call. She didn't recognise the number, and it sounded far away and staticky. It was Danny's voice. He was incoherent and confused, then hung up the phone. She called the number back and pleaded with him to call 911 for help, so he did. He had no idea where he was, and he had just described his surroundings. When the paramedics finally found him, he was still wearing all his ski gear and in need of medical assistance. He was holding a brand new iPhone and someone had cut his hair. Somehow, he ended up in Sacramento, California, at the airport. I know, at the airport terminal car rental depot. He was three thousand miles away from where he disappeared. He couldn't remember how he got there, and he had no idea what day it was. When he learned where he was and how long people had been looking for him, he had an emotional breakdown. But otherwise, to this day, is okay. Did they do like a toxicology on him? Like, was he drugged? I don't know. The leading theory is that he was kidnapped in the back of a big rig truck, but no proof of this has ever surfaced. Weird. Okay. So he could have just been drugged, had his hair cut, given a new phone and dropped off in California. That's just the weirdest Mm. thing though, isn't it? Like, why do you kidnap someone to just drive them to a new destination? Yeah. That's so odd. He turned up in California in, like, ski gear... You know? Oh, my God, I don't know what to say. That's That's really bizarre. It's pretty wild. So I've got one more case. Okay. Our final case in this episode is perhaps the youngest victim, aged only two years old. Oh, no. In 1952, a two-year-old boy named Keith Parkins... I would like to take a break here and say, can you imagine a two-year-old called Keith? (laughs) A young baby Keith. I'm just thinking of Keith that I know. I mean, he would have been two at one point. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine so. (laughs) Tends to be how it works. Okay. Little baby Keith. Two-year-old baby Keith Parkins went missing from his home in Ritter, Oregon, during the middle of an incredibly cold Oregon winter. He had been playing outside with his jacket on, but he was far from equipped to spend the night outside alone. His family and a local search party looked for him immediately. They could follow his tiny footprints up to a point before they completely stopped. There were no other animal or adult tracks nearby. 19 hours later, they found Keith. He was about 15 miles away. He had taken his jacket off and was lying face down in the snow on a frozen pond. 15 miles. Keith was alive. (gasps) I know. Yay! (laughs) When they asked him why he'd run away and how he survived, he said he didn't remember. Les Stroud, a survivalist featured in the feature-length documentary for Missing 411, recreated Keith's journey, demonstrated just how impossible it would have been 
for a two-year-old to walk 15 miles over the course of 19 hours, especially as most of that time it will be dark. Yeah. And, sorry, this is 15 miles still in the in a um, forest sort of situation? It's sort of more like brushland, like very rugged, like short grass, but like bushy. And yeah. That sort of that sort of situation. His clothing was found ripped, while the searchers suspected was due to the prevalent barbed wire fences in the area. So he would have had to walk 15 miles through these barbed wire fences, bushes, snow, ice, for 19 hours. And yeah, not at two. No. I mean, I couldn't manage it now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did watch the video of him doing it, and I'd say I wouldn't have a chance. No. And I'm 29. It's hilly, rocky, covered in bush, pitch black. So he does it at night and it is absolute. There's no light whatsoever, especially if it was cloudy. There'd been none. And obviously it was sub-zero temperatures. So I don't know how a two-year-old could have done this. And he doesn't know either. No. So he just says he doesn't remember. And presumably he wasn't kidnapped because there was no adult footprints nearby where he left, where he when he started walking. Yeah, and he would know as well, wouldn't he? He would have said, like, this man came or something, or a lady came. Yeah, I mean, he was asked later on in his life why did he run away and how he survived, and he just said he doesn't remember. Mm. Which I don't remember anything when I was two. No. No. Weird. So there are some wild theories surrounding the missing 411 phenomenon, from alien abduction to Bigfoot abduction to secret government projects and everything in between. Pelides refuses to come to any conclusion regarding what's actually happening, but rather presents the cases and leaves us to wonder how and why. It is safe to assume that these cases will continue on, whether we discover the culprit or otherwise. I would like to come back and do some more if people are interested, because there's like 1,200 cases and I've done like five. Yeah, no, we should do we another will. episode on it. Do another episode and we will come to the solution as to what this What's is. What's your biggest theory? I think <laughs> some of them do sound like alien abduction. Yeah, no, I can see the similarities, like, yeah. They disappear, no footprints, no tracks, and they reappear somewhere miles away, mm. just like flying face down on the ground, whether they're dead or alive, I don't no know. No memory is quite common no as well memory. with alien abductions, yeah. isn't it? I dread mm. to think what happened to that two-year-old. Poor Keith. Poor baby Keith. And oh, there, I don't know. There was obviously the... Yeah, like... Baby Maybe it's Keith. a big Catholic cult. Could be. <laughs> the Catholics are taking over the national parks. <laughs> Could be. We are literally, like, insulting all our Catholic listeners. I'm sure we do have some that are Catholics. We don't hate Sorry. Catholics. <laughs> Just the Catholic institution. I, to be fair, eggs. offend all of you. I don't like any religion. No, that's true. <laughs> it's not just Catholics. <laughs> all of it. So, yeah, I mean, it could be serial killers. I'm sure there are some serial killers out there that are doing some of this. Yeah, I mean, I do think, like, it's definitely possible, but then I also do think by now we would have at least caught one of them. Yeah. So that's the only thing. That's kind of what fucks that theory. There are some other um, missing elements that I didn't cover, which I might save for another episode. Like, like I said, more about the clusters. I might cover a couple of the clusters. Um, some of them happen near water. 
that's a big thing happening mm. near water for some reason. But obviously not found in the water. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, oh. I don't know where I sit with it. I suppose for me it's just unexplainable. Yeah. That is where I sit with it. It is. But I don't know the yeah. answer. I think there's multiple solutions. I think what it is essentially... People taking their shoes off, <laughs> charging up their electricity and going into interdimensional portals. Or yeah. maybe it was the government. Yeah. Kidnapping people, doing experiments. Oh, yeah. That is a big, big theory, though. Yeah, I'm, it's kind of always a theory in everything, though, isn't it? Really? No, yeah. I think my conclusion from all this, from all my research and all I watch and everything... Just going to keep staying at home. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> what, what have you learned? Don't go hiking. Just don't go out. Nature's yeah. horrible. <laughs> Nature's scary. Oh, I do like a like walk in the forest. I just don't like hiking. Well, like flat ground, you know? <laughs> Last time you spoke about walking in the forest, there was like ghost staircases and yeah. weird... I'd love it faces. if I found a staircase. No, you wouldn't. Oh, I would. I'd walk straight up it and all. <laughs> I can't remember what happens if you do, but I don't think it's good. I don't know. I guess it depends if you've got your shoes on or not. <laughs> well, I suppose you could make some content for our Instagram page. Yeah. Highly strange. Plot. Live stream it. Yeah, live stream it. <laughs> live stream Sarah getting kidnapped to like, the shadow realm on a staircase. I'll be fine. Do you reckon uh, this week we should um, recommend to your PE teacher? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who we should recommend to. Recommend to anyone you know called Keith. Yeah. <laughs> Recommend to any small children. Oh, no, don't do that. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sick of a PE teacher. Okay. Yeah. PE teacher and Keith's. Re- especially if your PE teacher's called Keith. Oh, you get double points for that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> um, email us at highlystrangepod at gmail.com. You can, um, if you want to email us some stories about... Maybe yawning, sorry. Sarah, she, she's already bored. She's had enough. <laughs> Find us on Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, like, share, subscribe, review, yeah, review, all the good stuff. Apple Podcast, all that gear. I keep calling it iTunes, but it's not been called iTunes for years. No. Apparently it's just Apple Podcasts. There you go. Absolutely ignorant. Right. <laughs> Don't go See you woods. next week. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>